Turn our Bibles now, if you would please, to 2 John. 2 John, and we're going to complete our study of 2 John tonight. Next week, we'll look at the third, look at 3 John. But 2 and 3 John are the shortest books that we have in the New Testament. I mentioned to you last week that in the original Greek, there are fewer words in these two books than there are the uh, other two books that are only one chapter, Jude and Philemon. This was a a little letter that was written by John very near the end of the first century, uh, near the time that John was ready to, to go home to be with the Lord. Most people date the letter to about A.D. 90. And so John probably wrote this just before he received that great revelation that we're going to talk about and study about in a couple of weeks from now. But John's discussing here the problem of false teachers... And he's giving a warning about those that were traveling around in those days that were under the guise of Christianity. They would try to sneak into houses and there to spread their false doctrines. And apparently, the person to whom John wrote this letter, this lady that he writes to, had a problem with these false teachers. And perhaps even unknowingly, she had allowed them to come into her house. And then by giving her hospitality, or giving them hospitality rather, she may have given them some kind of encouragement. And so, John writes about this, and there were many Christians that that did traveling like that in the first century, and when they went to different places, they were dependent upon Christian hospitality. They had to have somebody give them food and shelter for when they they traveled. And of course, we're reminded of the Apostle Paul when he preached in, in Corinth that he met two fine Christians there by the name of Aquila and Priscilla. And these two Christians allowed Paul to come into their home. And while he was ministering in Corinth, they showed him hospitality. And that greatly helped the work of the Lord as Paul preached there. So the Bible definitely teaches us that uh, hospitality is a Christian virtue. But we have to be careful about handing out hospitality because we can't do that indiscriminately. There are some people who would take advantage of it. And this is what was happening in the first century. They took advantage of it. And as I said, they would slip into houses and begin to teach these false doctrines. So John writes to this elect lady. She was an acquaintance of his. um, And she was a godly woman. But she had some problems in this area. And she didn't know what to do about these false teachers that were coming to her house. Those that would seek lodging with her. So... To those that are teaching the truth, John teaches us to be hospitable. And we'll talk more about that in the next lesson when we get into 3 John. But to those that would teach falsely, teach lies to people, we're not to be so hospitable towards them. And we're going to see John's Holy Spirit-led opinion about this in just a few minutes. So we're going to read the rest of the book. We studied verses 1 through 3 last week. So we're going to start at verse number 4 tonight, and we'll read all the way down to the end of the chapter. So if you'd stand with me, please, for the reading. First, uh, Second John, rather, verse number 4. Second John, verse 4. I rejoice greatly that I found of thy children walking in truth, as we have received a commandment from the Father. And now I beseech thee, lady, not as though I wrote a new commandment unto thee, but that which we had from the beginning, that we love one another. And this is love, that we walk after his commandments. This is the commandment, that as you've heard from the beginning, ye should walk in it. For many deceivers are entered into the world who confess not that Jesus Christ is come in the flesh. This is a deceiver and an antichrist. And notice the strong language that he uses there. 
Verse 8, look to yourselves that we lose not those things which we have wrought, but that we receive a full reward. Whosoever transgresseth and abideth not in the doctrine of Christ hath not God. He that abideth in the doctrine of Christ, he hath both the Father and the Son. If there come any unto you, and bring not this doctrine, receive him not into your house, neither bid him Godspeed. For he that biddeth him Godspeed is partaker of his evil deeds. Having many things to write unto you, I would not write with paper and ink, but I trust to come unto you and speak face to face that our joy may be full. The children of thy elect sister greet thee. Amen. Heavenly Father, thank you for uh, everyone who's come out tonight to hear your word. Lord, we have a, a subject here that we need to deal with. We encounter people who come to our homes, uh, sometimes even on a regular basis, that are not teaching the truth of your word. We need to know how to deal with that. So open your word to us tonight. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. It's a wonderful thing that John was able to begin this letter with a commendation to the lady. And we talked about that last week, that uh, she was a good godly woman. But evidently, John had run into some of those that were her family. And when he questioned them, he found out that they were still living in the faith. They were still contending for the same truths that John had preached to them in the beginning. And so John says that, I rejoice greatly when I found of thy children they were walking in the truth. So John had evaluated these people. He had examined them. And it appears that they were still hanging on. And that's really a great blessing to a preacher of the gospel of Christ. When you teach the truth of God's word and you find out that people stick to that and they live by it, they stay in it, that's what really makes the ministry a joy. People just hang on with the Lord. Well, John evaluates them. He looks at them. And we kind of wonder, what kind of things would John look at to tell if these people were really holding on to the faith? Are they still contending? Well, I think that there are are three things that we can see here that are, I would call, test of holiness. There's some test of holiness that John uses, and I think that we could use these, I mean, you could even use this for yourself to find out if you are still, or if you really are a faithful child of God. So there's some test of holiness. The first one I think that we find in this passage is that there is a moral test of obedience. John says here, I rejoice greatly that I found of thy children walking in the truth. And notice that word walking there because that is actually the Bible's metaphor for talking about obedience. The Christian has a walk, what the Bible says. And the walk means our manner of life, the way that we live. And that's one of the things that identifies us as one of God's children. In Philippians chapter 1, Paul wrote, Only let your conversation be as it becometh the gospel of Christ. Most of you are aware the word conversation in that verse means your manner of life. The way that you live your life. And so he says, let your manner of life be an example of the gospel of Christ. In other words, watch the way that you live. Watch the way that you act. Be concerned about the morality of your life. How do you live morally? Are you pure for the Lord Jesus Christ? And that's one of the things you look at to see if a person is a real Christian. In Ephesians chapter 1, uh, verse four, uh, verse, uh, chapter 4, verse 1, rather, uh, Paul says, I therefore, the prisoner of the Lord, beseech you that you walk worthy of the vocation wherewith ye are called. Every Christian needs to understand that we have a calling from God. Paul says it's the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. 
So we're citizens of a heavenly country. God has called us out of this world and he, he, he wants us to live holy and blameless to be sanctified before God in love. And so if you want to know if someone is a faithful Christian, then look at the way that he lives his life. Look at the morality of his life. See what he's doing. Where does he go? How does he talk? Who are his friends? And that'll tell you something about uh, how, uh, uh, whether a person is actually standing for God. David said, I will, I will set no wicked thing before mine eyes. And so the moral test of obedience says, I'll walk in Christ's commands. I will carry out God's work. I'll be where I need to be. I'll talk as I should talk. I'll act as I should act. I'll be honest. I'll forgive others. And there are many other things that the Word of God includes that a Christian needs to do in, in the obedience to the commands of Jesus Christ to walk as a Christian and to act like and be like a person who's a citizen of heaven. Jesus said in John chapter 14, He that hath my commandments and keepeth them, he it is that loveth me. And he that loveth me shall be loved of my Father, and I will love him and manifest myself to him. So, John here is evaluating lifestyles. And he sees that if these people are keeping Christ's commandments, if they're an obedient to him, that means that they're walking after the Lord. Their walk is worthy of Christ. And so obedience, that is a mark of a Christian. And, and, and it's useless. It is, it is totally unconvincing for somebody to say that they love Christ and they do not follow his commandments. Now, that leads us into the next test. And the second test is the societal test of love. And by societal, I, I don't necessarily mean love in a general sense to all of mankind. Certainly you ought to love people. You ought to love the souls of people. But we're not talking here about the liberals' love like Rodney King love. Why can't we all just get along? I'm primarily talking here about the society of Christians. John's theme in 1 John, and when you read that, you find out that his theme is love. But primarily, John's talking about love for Christ and love for other Christians. In verse number 5 of this text, in 2 John, he says, And now I beseech thee, lady, not as though I wrote a new commandment unto thee, but that which we had from the beginning. In other words, the command that Christ gave us from the beginning when we followed him, that we love one another. So John's not going to go too long without talking about love. It's one of his primary themes. In fact, you can look here at verse number 6, and it kind of backs up the point that I just made a moment ago. Jesus said that a person who loves me is one who keeps my commandments. And here in verse number 6, John states, and this is love, that we walk after his commandments. So if you're going to evaluate a person to see if he really is a Christian, if he's truly a Christian, see how he loves. See how he treats brothers and sisters in Christ. See if that person is a forbearing person. Will he forgive as he should? You know, we live in a time when, when everybody's talking about their rights. Everybody has to have their rights. And, and if, my, uh, if having my rights means that I have to walk all over you to get my rights, then that's what I'll do. Not long ago, Brian Petro uh, preached a message, and uh, I think the title of it was Entitlement. And I remember he asked this question. He said, think about all the things that you believe that you're entitled to. That's a dangerous question for a lot of people. You start thinking about uh, what you think you're entitled to. And we think that we're entitled to many things. And we even think that our entitlement is so superior to everybody else's entitlement that if I have to do anything I need to do to get what I have my rights to, what I'm entitled to, that's what I'll do. 
I've preached several messages recently specifically about love. 1 Corinthians chapter 13, we had three messages there about love. I don't want to rehash all of that material, but go back to 1 Corinthians 13 and see how that the Apostle Paul deals with love as it comes to the issue of entitlement. See how love deals with entitlement. You remember that definition we gave of biblical love? Love is the sacrificial, joyful desire to put your welfare above mine. And so what that actually means in the issue of entitlement is that there are some things that I will give up. There are some things that I am entitled to that I won't claim if it's going to hurt you or be a problem for you. And that's how we show our love to one another. Now, thank the Lord there are some things that we are entitled to that we're never going to have to give up. You don't have to give these things up for any reason. When I was... Uh, first listen to Brian's message, my, my mind went, went to Ephesians chapter 1. And there it tells us that we have been blessed in Christ Jesus, blessed in all heavenly places in Christ. Romans tells us that we're heirs and we're joint heirs with Christ. And I know that I'm entitled to some things, not because of me, but because of my kinship and because of the relationship that I have with Jesus Christ. God will give everything to his son that he's entitled to. And since the Bible says that I am also a son of God, I know for sure I'll get everything that I'm entitled to. Jesus in his high priestly prayer in John 17 said, Father, I will that they also whom thou hast given me be with me where I am, that they may behold thy glory which thou hast given me, for thou lovest me before the foundation of the world. So if you want to test a person's Christianity... See how they treat their brothers and sisters in Christ. Paul said, or John rather says, people will, Jesus said, people will know you by the way that you love. They'll know that you're my disciples by the way that you love. Then there's a third test. And this one is so important for all of us. The third test is the doctrinal test of truth. Does this person walk in the truth? There's anything that's mixed up and confused today, it's the matter of truth. There are many people who call themselves Christians who know nothing about the truth and care very little about the truth at all. The test of fellowship is not truth. That's not what we look for. Somehow people have become to be confused about it and they believe that the test of real uh, Christianity and fellowship is whether we can have love and tolerance for people. Now, first of all, we discussed that last week, and we talked about how love is always based in the truth, and there is no love without truth. And so that means that for a a person to uh, believe in the Lord Jesus Christ as his Savior and to understand and recognize the things that Jesus taught, that's the only person that's really going to understand biblical love. The rest of the world doesn't know about it. But today, you have all sorts of people... Uh, In fact, we have the majority of people today that that think that love and being a Christian means that you must accept any doctrine that anyone teaches. About a century or so ago, there began to uh, be this great challenge over some very basic Bible doctrines. One of the worst, or one of the most serious challenges, was over the inerrancy of Scripture. People started teaching that the Bible was not really the inspired Word of God and the Bible's not perfect in every detail. Well, most of the people, most Christians back in that time, they had the good sense to to distance themselves from anybody who didn't believe that the Bible was actually the Word of God. I mean, they, they believed in inerrancy of Scripture. 
You see, when you depart from the fact that the Bible is the Word of God, literally God's Word given to us and it's absolute truth, when you depart from that, then Christian doctrines are going to fall behind it. Virgin birth, the virgin birth of Christ becomes in question. Uh, The resurrection of Jesus Christ becomes a question. The, the belief in a substitutionary atonement becomes a fable to people who don't believe the truth of the Bible. So, you know, disbelief of Scripture is a very serious issue. So we have to watch out for that. So for the most part, good Bible-believing Christians back in those days knew that anybody who teaches that the Bible's not the Word of God, you separate from them. And that's why we have the fundamentalist movement. That's where it got started. The fundamentalist movement was, was there to reaffirm core doctrines of the faith. But it took a lot of years. And, and, and finally, the walls of separation began to come down. And so now it's not uncommon for preachers to ignore the core doctrines of the faith. They receive into membership people that, into the mainline denominations, any doctrine that anybody wants to believe. And doesn't matter what you, what, you, what you say, what you believe, we'll accept you into our church because the core doctrines of the faith really don't matter. So their test is not the Word of God. The test is, can I get along with anybody no matter what they teach? And I say, that goes against every grain and every fiber of biblical revelation. If that's true, the Apostle Paul would have never left his country to give the gospel to any person because the gospel really doesn't matter. So today, you have generic churches that don't stand for anything. Some people don't like it when they come to Berean Baptist and they find out that we are still preaching here believers' baptism. They don't like it when they find that out. They don't like it when they find out the Berean Baptist Church teaches that in order for you to become a Baptist... You must receive Baptist baptism. Now, if you want to become a Methodist, go get baptism from them. But if you're going to be a Baptist, it's got to come from the Baptist church. That's the only way you're going to get into a Baptist church. We still preach that. There are people that don't like it because we preach that communion is an ordinance of the church. And only those that are members of the local New Testament assembly, they're the only ones that can partake of that supper. They don't like it because they prefer their own rules to what the Bible says. They don't like it when we preach salvation by grace through faith alone. They don't like sola gratia, sola fide, sola scriptura, sola deo gloria. They don't like any of that. And so today, the test of doctrinal truth in churches today is gone. There's no truth there. It's it's the tolerance that you have for their doctrine. And so now, modern evangelism is a mishmash of the purpose-driven life and the prosperity gospel that says, you're really okay. And things are okay with you. You just need to live up to your potential. That's not what God says. Scripture says, and Jesus himself said, Repent, or ye shall all likewise perish. Those are the words of Jesus Christ. He is Christianity. There's no Christianity without him. The Bible says that truth, grace and truth, came by Jesus Christ. So we're not called to join up and be tolerant of anything that's not biblical. So tolerance is not a virtue of the gospel. That's a theme of the Antichrist. It's not a theme of Jehovah's Christ. So again, Paul would would not have preached to any heathen if belief in the gospel was not the essential thing that you need for salvation. So these are tests. And John says, I rejoice to find you walking in the truth. And so he applied some tests to them to find out if they're Christians. 
Well, let's go on here because there's a problem in this little book that he addresses, and that's the problem of hospitality. You have all these itinerant teachers and preachers that are traveling around, and so who are you to be hospitable to, and who are you not to be hospitable to? And that's a question that we still have to ask today and answer today. Now, secondly then, let's talk about this, the tolerance of heresy. We've already talked a little bit about tolerance, and I hope that all of us here, we're agreed that uh, we're not to be tolerant of anything that's unbiblical. And so I'm going to tell you right up front before we get into this that John is against giving false teachers hospitality. So let's look and see what he says. Look at verse number 7. For many deceivers are entered into the world who confess not that Jesus Christ is come in the flesh. This is a deceiver and an antichrist. Now there we see that there's already people in the first century that, that have perverted the message of the apostles. Paul taught we're never to be tolerant of false teachers. In Galatians, Paul very strongly says there, I marvel that ye are so removed, so soon removed from him that called you into the grace of Christ unto another gospel, which is not another. But there be some that trouble you and would pervert the gospel of Christ. But though we or an angel from heaven preach any other gospel unto you than that which we have preached unto you, let him be accursed. That's strong language. As we said before, so say I now again, if any man preach any other gospel unto you than that ye have received, let him be accursed. Many of the same heresies that they experienced in the first century are still around today. The roots are right back here in the New Testament times. And that tells you one thing, because a doctrine is very old does not mean that that doctrine is correct. He says there are some who confess that Jesus Christ has not come in the flesh. Now let me point out two important things about heretics. The first thing is you have to recognize them. You have to recognize them. The recognition they have abandoned the truth. How many times have you run across somebody who does not believe that Jesus came in the flesh. See, if we take that statement at face value, we would have to say, well, there aren't very many heretics around today because you can talk to just about any Christian that you want, any flavor of Christianity that you want, and all of them admit that Jesus came in the flesh. So you have to examine the statement more carefully. And what we find here, really, is that the incarnation of Christ stands for everything attendant to the revelation of Jesus Christ. He is the God-man. He's the God, he's God who came in the flesh. So the incarnation represents the full revelation of Jesus Christ. Now we're talking just a little bit differently. Now we're talking about religion uh, that claims the name of Christ but they don't have the true biblical revelation of Christ. So what we've done here then, we've expanded this base of heresy immensely. And so we find there are many Christians that deny some or another part of the full revelation of Jesus Christ. One of the things we just talked about, and that's the veracity of Scripture. People say, well, the Bible's not really God's Word. And there are People who say, we're Christians, but we don't believe that everything that's written in this Bible are things that Jesus really said. Some of it is not the words of Jesus. And so there's disagreement about that. And remarkably, some of the new Bible translations even get in on that. The NIV, for instance, leaves out things that Jesus said. 
Some of the others are even worse. Some of the translations like the CEV totally change the Bible's meaning in this area of things that Jesus said and, and doctrines of God's Word. But that's not all you have to worry about because you even have to worry about Orthodox Christianity because there are many so-called Orthodox Christians that deny the Christ of the Scripture. Roman Catholicism, for instance, claims the right to change the Scripture because they believe it's the church that gives authority to the Scripture rather than the other way around. And so they present a Christ that, that, uh, is, who has a sacrifice that wasn't complete. It's not a fully, eternally justifying sacrifice. And so you know what happens because of that? Week after week in thousands of Roman Catholic churches all across the nation, they sacrifice Christ over and over and over again in the Mass. And what does John say about that? It's not the revelation of Christ. It's not the gospel of Christ. What does that make them? Deceivers and antichrist. Now, you're not going to hear that preached in most evangelical churches today. You're not going to hear people say things like that. Rick Warren's not going to tell you that. Billy Graham won't even tell you that. You know, Billy Graham, when he began his ministry, railed on Catholicism. And Billy Graham even said in the beginning that Roman Catholicism was a threat to humanity. But now, Billy Graham will have an audience with the Pope, and he's done it many times. He sits down with the Pope like an old friend. Billy Graham received an honorary degree from a Roman Catholic college. Billy Graham said that there is not such a thing as a literal burning eternal fire where people will have to spend eternity. And so what does that make that? That makes it deceptive. And Billy Graham has been the face of evangelical Christianity for 50 years or over. But it's not just Orthodox Christians either. Now we have to deal with the cults. What about them? Well, the Jehovah Witness is a deceiver Because he denies that Jesus Christ is very God in the flesh. The Mormons that are doing their very best to legitimize uh, their lies and to put themselves right up there on par with historical Christianity, they believe that Jesus and Satan came from the same stock. They don't believe that Jesus is the God, the supreme God and the only God of the universe. They're deceivers and antichrist. That's the first thing you have to do. You have to recognize them. You have to recognize that they have departed and abandoned the truth. Now, I want you to look how John further opens up the many perversions of the doctrines of Christ. Look at verse number 9. Whoso transgresseth and abideth not in the doctrine of Christ hath not God. He that abideth in the doctrine of Christ, he hath both the Father and the Son. Now, that covers a whole lot more territory. This opens up a a whole other area of people that we can't accept. And so there's other doctrines that are going to come into this. And so when that sweet Joel Osteen, the most, most popular preacher in America, stands up before people today and gives his prosperity gospel and refuses to preach a literal hell for people who died without Christ, that is a deceiver and an antichrist. We're told to watch out for that and warn people about it. These words that John has here in 2 John, he doesn't mince words here. These are deceivers and antichrist. So there you have it. A lot of territory that covers with people that we cannot associate with. We must be on the lookout for that because we are bound to teach the truth. We're, We're not to be tolerant of anything. It's not the truth of God's word. And especially, we don't want to be tolerant of any doctrine that sends people to hell. 
Now here's the second thing about heretics. Not only the recognition of them, but now we get down to the heart of the book here, and that's the reception of them. And John says here, don't allow them in. I've done a lot of reading on this subject, you know, as I was preparing the message here and what people have to say about what John says. And you'll find out that there are many commentators, now not even some good ones, but not all of them, but there are some good commentators that try to soft pedal this scripture. And what they say here is that John really didn't mean what John said. Now, what did he say? Remember, he's addressing the issue of hospitality. There are false teachers that are traveling around and they're seeking food and shelter. Here's what he says, verse number 10. If there come any unto you and bring not this doctrine, receive him not into your house, neither bid him Godspeed. For he that biddeth him Godspeed is partaker of his evil deeds. So what do you do when a Jehovah's Witness or a Mormon comes to your door? Do you invite them in and give them milk and cookies? No, I I, I know that some of you will say, well, the thing that you ought to do, you ought to invite them into your home and witness to them. Give them a gospel presentation. And I know right here there may be some of you that are going to disagree with what I say, but according to this scripture, that is the wrong thing to do. John says, don't let them in. William Barclay, some of you may have heard of him. He's He's an otherwise very good commentator. But here's what he said. We can never compromise with mistaken teachers, but we're never freed from the obligation of seeking to lead them to the truth. So I guess William Barclay knew more about this than John knew. Now, John could have very easily said that very thing, couldn't he? Couldn't he have said, well, let them in. Let let them come in and you give them a gospel presentation first, and then if they don't believe you, then you put them outside. He could have said it, but that's not what he said. Here's something we got to get very clear into our minds, and that is that God is in control of salvation. Here's an instance where he says, don't do something. He says, don't let them in. So don't worry about this. Don't worry that you've somehow shirked your duty or your responsibility to give the gospel message to someone. God is well able to take care of his means and his methods. So if God has another way of doing this, we've got to follow the way that God says to do it, and he'll take care of the rest. Just follow what he says. So a false teacher in John's day and a false teacher today is trying to do the very same thing, and that's get in the house so they can spread false doctrine. Now in John's day, they knew this. Getting into the house is the next step of getting into the church. Now, that's, of course, because they had a church in their houses. They didn't have buildings like we have today. So you let that false teacher in the house, his next step, he'll get into your church. So you don't let them in. You don't let them in even to argue with them because that's accomplishing their purpose. They're not going to sit there and listen to your gospel presentation without saying something. You know, here's the thing about it. I would venture to say that the numbers of Jehovah's Witnesses and Mormons that are won even by trained preachers who let those people into house is downright next to zero. And you know why? Because that's not God's method. God says, you don't let them in. That's what John says right here. Now, here's the thing. If you want to take off after them and follow them down the street and find out where they live and then knock on their door and get them to invite you in, you have at it. You give them all the gospel you can give them. But you don't let them into your house. That's what John says. You see, even letting them into the house, that for the sake of argument, that's encouragement. And John says, don't encourage them. 
They're preaching lies. And you should no more let somebody like that into your house than you let a live rattlesnake come into your house. It's dangerous for you. So you discourage them all that you can. As they're walking away from your house, turn the lawn sprinklers on. Do that or something. (laughs) There's a little story here I want to tell you before I leave this point because it it, kind of goes along with this. But uh, there were two Mormons that came to my dad's house and uh, they came and wanted to talk to him. They picked the wrong guy. Uh, These two Mormons were standing at the door and they became very insistent about getting into the house. My dad wasn't going to let them in. And uh, he didn't want to have anything to do with them. So they argued there at the door for a little while. In a few minutes, my dad was ready to say his goodbye and to send those Mormons on their way. Well, what he'd done, he'd opened up the screen door just a little bit as he was talking to them. And when he said, you know, you guys need to leave now, this Mormon stuck his foot in the screen door to keep him from shutting the door. They picked the wrong guy. My, guy, my dad was this states' rights kind of I'm going to defend my property no matter what kind of guy. So, so when this guy stuck his foot in his door, he was as likely to lose it as he was to get it back. And so he says to them, uh, he, he, gra- or rather he grabbed that Mormon by his white shirt and his skinny, skinny black tie, and he pulled him into the house and pulled him down to the floor and stuck his knee in his chest. And he said... You want in the house, you're in the house. So let's call the police. Well, that Mormon jumped up. He ran out the door. I don't even know if he grabbed his bicycle or not. But he took off down the street. How much encouragement do you think or discouragement do you think that he experienced because of that? Now, here's the thing. I'm not telling you to go beat up Mormons. Um, you know, he did, he, my dad perhaps did the wrong thing because he brought him into the house and he wasn't supposed to do that. And, you know, that's kind of a spur-of-the-moment thing. But the Bible says don't let them in. Don't encourage them. Let God deal with them, just like John tells this lady. So when it comes to false teachers that, that come to your house, you put up a sign on your house that says, Warning, keep out. You might even want to get a sign that says, My dog eats Jehovah Witnesses. That would be okay, too. But there's one more thing I want to tell you about this too. And that is, don't invite them into your house on the radio and on the TV. You see, you'd be far better off watching cartoons on Sunday morning than to listen to Joel Osteen and Joyce Meyer and and Kenneth Copeland and all of those guys. You'd be far better off. Don't invite them into your house. Let me quickly finish here. We have test of holiness. We have tolerance of heresy. Now we're going to look at these last two verses because John closes with some good thoughts. And these are the thoughts of happiness. So what is it that John wants? He loved these people that he ministered to, so he wrote them this little letter. But it's a short letter because I think that he fully expected that he would be able to visit them. He says, I'm going to come and see you shortly. Look at verse 12. Having many things to write unto you, I would not write with paper and ink. But I trust to come unto you and speak face to face that our joy may be full. Let's notice first about this, the fellowship of joy. Writing letters is fun. You might get some enjoyment from that. But writing letters is no substitute for face to face, person to person contact. I do not understand why many Christians don't get this. They have their electronic church. And so they listen to their preacher on the TV, and they hear what he has to say there. They listen to him on the radio, and that's good enough for them. I don't understand how a blood-bought believer in Jesus Christ can stay at home 
when there are people in their church that love them, that will support them, that rejoice to see them, that comfort and strengthen one another through fellowship, my question is, what are Christians doing sitting at home? You know, I love my family. I'm not content, though, to chat with them over the computer and look at them through a webcam. I want to go see them. I want to have fellowship with them. And so as a Christian, you don't neglect the people that you love. And if you haven't learned to love the people in your church, you have not gotten John's message, and you certainly have not gotten Jesus' message. We come to church for the hearing of God's Word, of course, as we spoke this morning, but there is fellowship that goes on here, and we don't want to miss that fellowship. Then lastly, I want you to look at the fullness of joy. Where do you get fullness of joy? Well, we back up just a little bit in John's letter, and we come right back to the truth again. You will be a happy Christian when you know the truth. Jeremiah wrote, Thy words were found, and I did eat them, and thy word was unto me the joy and rejoicing of mine heart. For I am called by thy name, O Lord God of hosts. Maybe there are a whole lot of miserable Christians around because what they've done is to neglect the truth. They thought staying at home is a better idea than going to church on Sunday night. And so thus, we have a smaller crowd tonight than we had this morning. I'm going to submit to you that are here tonight that those of you who come to hear God's word are more happy and you are more content for those who absent themselves from the teaching of the truth. Now, maybe I don't know. Maybe I don't know. Maybe they've got all the truth that they need. But I do know that Jesus said this in John 15, 11, These things have I spoken unto you that my joy might remain in you and that your joy might be full. These things have I spoken unto you. That's where you get your joy, by listening to his words. So, you have to wonder about this. How joyful would the disciples have been if they had missed these words of Jesus? These are some of the last words that Jesus spoke before he went to the cross. There in John chapter 15, uh, Jesus was talking about the vine and the branches, and, and that was an intimate conversation that he had with his disciples just hours before he went to the cross. So I wonder how joyful the disciples would have been if they missed what Jesus said. In this same discourse, a little bit later, he talks about the Holy Spirit. Here they are facing uh, the, the death of Christ. He's going to leave them, but Jesus gives them words about the Holy Spirit. He'll come and dwell in them and be their comforter and abide with them forever. How joyful are they going to be, mixed up and confused as they are, or as they were, if they miss Jesus' words. Joy always comes from hearing God's word. And it doesn't matter if it steps on your toes and it burns going down. You'll receive joy from hearing God's word. So this is what we, we learn here in Second John. This is a great little letter. I mean, there's not very many verses, but what it tells us as Christians, we are not to tolerate false doctrine. We're not to listen to it. We're not to be hospitable to it. We're to abide in the truth. And you need a sign on your door that says, Warning, keep out. This is a place where truth abides. That's what you need on your house. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the time to look into your word. And Lord, uh, uh, we're certainly not angry at people and the things that we say, but we do know this. We have to stand up for the truth. We must abide in the truth and teach the truth and never be tolerant of false doctrine that sends people to hell. 
Help us to do that, Lord. Help us to look into your word and to learn the truth and listen to your word. So, Lord, bless in this invitation tonight. We thank you again for all those who've come to hear your word. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.